This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And today is the second half of our true crime pairing, our and latest one. premiering on Academy Award night. Correct. So picked a, it's not quite an Academy Award nominee, but it was a lot of it, Didn't, some of the elements of it got nominated, I, I think. I think people thought it would be an Academy Award nominee. I will tell you, I was not one of them. I watched this movie <laughs> and I liked it well enough, but I did. my reaction was, well, nobody's winning an Academy Award for this. <laughs> I think that's what you texted me. So let me just tell people what we're doing. Last week, we discussed a Dateline episode about murder in the house of Gucci. And so today, we are discussing, as a true crime movie time, the Ridley Scott Lady Gaga movie, House of Gucci, which we have both seen. Uh, This will be the third time we talk about this case. We have watched and discussed two documentaries about the case that inspired this movie. One of them before anybody else had done anything else, except for the people who made the Italian documentary, Lady Gucci. Lady Gucci. was eons ago before any of this started to be Mm -hmm. big news, and then the rest of it sort of followed thereafter. But yeah, that was really quite the surprise. And our first real connection to this case, it's... Fascinating. It's salacious. It mm-hmm. is. There's a lot to um, 
recommend one of the people in last week's in the episode, which was about the Dateline episode, the um, the guy from I think People Magazine said that he could not believe, given the elements of the story, he could not quite believe that it had taken them um, 20 years or 30 years to get around to making this movie because it really has all of the the elements that you would want from a movie. This world-famous family, fashion, this mm-hmm. famous brand name, mm-hmm. you know, household uh, name, famous Gucci family, uh, murder and intrigue and infidelity and mm-hmm. financial uh, ineptitude and uh, possible boat. malfeasance. A huge, one of the most spectacular yachts I've ever seen in a my life. A sailing yacht, which it's, is a special kind of, right? right? It's a sailing yeah, yacht. Anyway. Very unusual. It was. Yeah. It's a remarkable sort of story. And so I can see how everybody was was attracted to it. And one of the things we love about doing the, the true crime pairing is that it gives us the chance to examine the same crime from more than one perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, first we looked at the crime itself, and now we're talking about the way in which the artistic interpretation of this in order to take it and make it, shape it into something that was stage-worthy, which, right. you know, we're, we'll, we're well aware. We've been to this rodeo before, you can't always just do a factual telling and have the best possible storytelling. No. And I think that's all often the case. Although I have to say this kind of follows the circumstance in ways better than the um the dateline episode we saw last week. Mhm. The timeline is I think pretty true to form. Let's maybe summarize briefly what we know about the case that inspired this. Um, and I think we should say this is going to be a spoiler-filled discussion. So. Absolutely. If you haven't seen yeah. the movie, pause this now if you want to be surprised. But I can't imagine that you'd be surprised, and everything else is just a matter of the performativeness of it. In 1994, Maurizio Gucci, who is the recently ousted head of the Gucci fashion empire, is walking into his high-end office building in Milan, Italy, and he is shot in the back, uh, turns around and is shot in the head, uh, the doorman of the building runs out and is shot in the arm. Uh, there's an immediate uh, immediate frenzy around this because the Gucci's, as we said on the previous episode, are like the Kennedys of Italy. They're a very famous, almost aristocratic family that's been wealthy and powerful for many years. Uh, there, uh, there is initially suspicion on whether or not the killer was somebody that Maurizio had engaged with to pay off his considerable debts. He was uh, total spendthrift. He spent excessively on his sailing yacht, which we mentioned earlier. Um, and everything else in the world you could possibly imagine. Um, there had been the Gucci family was legendary for infighting for years. There was an old saying in the Italian press that G didn't stand for Gucci. It, stand, it stood for Guerra, which is Italian for war. Um, but eventually they focused right in on his failed marriage to a woman named Patricia Reggiani, who had become Patricia Gucci, and this movie begins as the love story of these two people, basically. In fact, this movie is the love story of these two people. Right. I think that is basically the the choice that that they made in 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 setting up the narrative. That ultimately, it's about following the course of this relationship that leads to this tragic end. Right. Um, which I don't think is there any surprises about. Right. Um, 
as that, you know, he cheated on her. He was getting ready to divorce her. She hired people to kill him, and they succeeded. She hired— an, And then she went to prison for it. An unbelievably incompetent crew of people to kill him, unprofessional. Not like I would celebrate the effectiveness of a murder-for-hire plot, but it was an astonishingly ragtag crew. It's kind of astonishing that they succeeded. And I was shocked that— I guess I didn't know what type of movie to expect because I knew enough about the case that I knew you could focus your lens in a different area. You could make it just a dynasty-level family soap opera, or you could do what they actually did, which was make this a love story between these two characters. But I really thought I was braced for something that was going to be more of a noir crime drama where we were really going to get into the gritty, seedy underbelly of the fact that she went, she had a allegedly, but she was convicted of this, had her close friend, who was also her psychic, go out and hire these these murderers for hire in from the worst neighborhood in Milan. People who had no experiences were saying, I thought that was the story we were going to be on board for, who they all were, how the plot went down. But really, we it's like beginning to end. We meet Patrizia Reggiani when she is a young woman and her stepfather is a successful has a successful trucking business. There's a lot of money, but she's not aristocratic. She's not a member of the Milano Bene, as they call it, the Milano elite. And she meets Maurizio as a, at a party, and it's love at first sight. And they, I think yeah. maybe his and not necessarily hers. You think? Is that the? Is that what like you got? Like he yeah. proposed on their second date. Yeah. Like, not a player. Yeah. I said I kidded about that the last in the last episode, but that's. Yeah, wow, that's somebody who's really smitten. Like, if somebody this hot could be interested in me, then I'm going to, then I want to put a ring on that. I want to say. That was kind of my impression of the way that it went down. Because, like, I don't think she didn't set her cap for him. Like, he was a catch, and I think she knew it right along. Because she stayed with it through a lot of daunting moments in the course of their relationship. One of the things that I was struck with by the movie, I'll say early, is that. Patrizia Reggiani should watch the movie because she is never going to get better press than this movie is I giving her. She is say. a psychopath and a narcissist, and this movie presents her as a victim. Absolutely. And it is really, it kind of makes it a little preposterous. Yes. But it is kind of the way that the arc of the story, because they choose to tell it in terms of the love story. Uh-huh. She is a woman done wrong who makes bad choices at the end, but you can kind of forgive her because she was such a great guy and he was just, he just was, to, you know, like it's he threw like, aside, oh, yeah. for heaven's sakes. Now, if you, if you didn't listen to our discussion last week, we, in episode 78, which is not last week's episode, but episode 78, we talked about this case for the first time. It was a true crime TV club. We served up the documentary on Discovery Plus called Lady Gucci, the story of Patrizia Reggiani. And this documentary is practically just a first-person monologue in Italian with subtitles of the character Lady Gaga plays in this movie. And they are not the same they person. They are not in <laughs> any way the same person. I mean, she is... Phenomenal! It is one of the most jaw-dropping uh, shows we've ever done. We did it completely by accident. We didn't realize it was going to be an Italian. We just did it because it was um, it was Met Gala Fashion Weekend, right, and we thought yeah. it would be fun to do something fashion-related for our uh, True Crime TV Club. And she was something else. She's she really, really was. remarkable in all the worst possible ways, and character. I have this theory, this is purely speculative, and I mean this to be diplomatic. 
I don't think Lady Gaga was willing to play her the way she really is and is really known to be because there's narcissism doesn't have a lot of dimensions to it. I, narcissism for an actor, I imagine, can be tough to play because you're always playing the same thing, which is your it's about me. I'm turning it back to me. Whereas what Lady Gaga did on screen, as you pointed out, was had way more emotional life than Patricia shows in one second of that documentary that we watched. This is she's just a sort of predator. She's avaricious. She's just always about herself. Whereas there's vulnerability in the performance in the movie, and there's there she's wounded and and all that sort of stuff. And I just think she came in and said, I, I can't tell that story. The Dateline special we watched last week had a clip from Lady Gaga kind of arguing in Patrizia's defense, saying, if you think this woman is just this pure money-grubbing monster who tried to marry rich and get inside this company and then murdered when she was ousted, um, remember that when she married Maurizio, uh, the Gucci family so disapproved of the union that they didn't go to the wedding. Right. They, they And she took him in and she loved him. She married him anyway. Married him as a exiled scion, you know? And so I, I think... And it's not like I falter for it necessarily, but I think that's what happened to this movie. I think that's well, a driving force. I think that um, after seeing this and some of her other work, that I hope Lady Gaga is um, going to be focusing more on her music career mm. um, in the upcoming years. Okay. Like, I love her. I'm a huge Gaga Gaga mm-hmm. fan. Right. You're a I little think monster. She is. I am a yeah. little monster. I'm a big monster. I just adore her and I love her. And I think that she has, I think she has some skills, but I think she's got a lot, a mm-hmm. long way to go for here. Yeah. And I would love to see her do more music yeah. and less acting. And if she's going to do acting, I would like her to maybe try things that are more in her range. Mm-hmm. And I think this was maybe too much. Yeah, you think? Yeah. yeah, I think this and to some degree, so was um, uh, Star is Born. I just think she didn't stick the landing. Can, can I, since you broke the ice on this topic, can I say something that I sure. think nobody gave a good performance in this movie? This was oh. a movie in which a, a raft of really talented actors Al Pacino gave was terrible performances. I Jared just... Leto, a, a Academy Award winner. Just, yeah. I mean, wretched. Adam Driver, who I quite like. Just ab- everything. This was not, it was gorgeous. Yeah. And it was a stupid, I think they, the script betrayed them all. Yeah. Because of, the, because of pursuing this as a love story. I think your suggestion mm-hmm. that if they had told this as a gritty noir crime drama mm-hmm. could have been fascinating. And it's Ridley Scott, so it would have been gorgeous no matter right. what they did. Absolutely. Like, Prometheus was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I just, I couldn't believe how disappointed I was in this movie. And it's like we, we were saying before we started the episode, we want to talk about the case and the crime side of it. But but this is the package. This is the particular package it came in. And having, having been given two real glimpses into how these people ticked, allegedly, you know, according to the, the balance of the facts, it was really hard to see 
the sentimentalized versions of them on screen as bearing any connection to that. Like, I just didn't think Adam Driver bore any connection to the Mauricio Gucci I have heard well, about at I all. I don't know that anybody has presented anything about him. I have no insight into him. We've seen, I said, as I mentioned last week, we have seen him repeatedly from her point of view, from the... Dateline point of view, and in this, and I have no clue what I, motivates that man. I there, just, he doesn't make any sense to me. There is an interesting quote that I think is from her, Patrizia, about him that he is like a cushion who bears the imprint of the last person who sat on him. Yeah. This is a man whose mother died when he was five years old and whose father was a former celebrity who was completely caught up in himself. This is a man who was looking for um, guidance and probably got it in all the wrong places, right? He was looking for someone to give him a shove and love him at the same time. And I think she did that for him for a while because she was such a dominant narcissistic personality. And I think his father did it for him. And I think, um, you know, I think one, there would have to be a handoff. Like he couldn't leave, he's willing to be banished by his father for marrying the wrong woman if the woman is a powerful enough force to give him a kind of emotional center. This is all stuff I've been thinking about since our last discussion because your theory about when we get into the weird business machinations and right. his incompetence as a leader of Gucci, which is explored in more detail in this movie than in any of the Much specials. Much more. Um, it does suggest your theory that he was being manipulated by people who were seeking their own power and it's why his actions look so crazy. He was One of the things in. they brought up in the Dateline uh, story that we did last week and we didn't talk about last week was suddenly out of nowhere he brings in this exiled, accused Italian terrorist yeah. to be his financial angel and rescuer at Gucci. Like, where would... Where would Maurizio come up with that? I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. <laughs> So if he, if he had been presented with yeah. that by somebody who was trying to manipulate him, that mm -hmm. makes more sense to me as a story. But they never say that. This story does show him ultimately betrayed in business, but it doesn't give you the sense that he is a lamb being led to the slaughter, which is kind of who I think he was. You think so, yeah. You think so? Because there, there, there's a weird pivot for his character, right? He's initially very resistant. Patrizia is pressuring him to get back in with his family, right? They have their marriage. There's a, there's a sort of disturbing scene where you see at their wedding that the Gucci side of the church is completely empty. This marriage has been shunned. Nobody wants him marrying the daughter of a truck driver, essentially, is how they put it. Um, and that, But the uncle, his Uncle Aldo, played terribly by Al Pacino, who I absolutely love. Absolutely Just adored. an awful performance. Just one of the worst performances um, ever. Uh, sees potential in them, 
And he's running the business out of New York. He's basically kind of the international face of Gucci right. and its growth, right, as we talked about. Um, and he's trying to draw them back in. Patrizia wants to be back in. And Maurizio is just, no, I don't want to. You know, he's very resistant. Then once they're back in, suddenly Maurizio is all on board for this manipulative plan to start gobbling up all the shares. And in terms of the movie, I don't remember seeing the pivot. Like, I don't remember seeing Patrizia charm him into doing it or somebody else in the, or Aldo charm him into doing it. He's just this, like, block of clay that that takes that on a different suddenly, shape. suddenly, like, the golem uh, comes to life and starts yeah. doing stuff that's completely unmotivated. I mean, the movie even goes so far as to show him as kind of saying that when he was working washing trucks at her yeah. father's company and she was being the bookkeeper and they were, you know— very well provided for by a wealthy family. Um, mm-hmm. He was it was the happiest he ever was in his life. And I think, and then suddenly he's this mogul grasping for power and manipulating yeah. shares and whatever. And I'm like, where did this guy come from? And here's what is missing from this movie, which I felt gave so much insight into him, limited insight into him in the documentaries, was that he owned a palatial yacht. And he, when he wanted to escape the world, he would go on this yacht, and it was like millions of dollars, like a sailing yacht. He had, When he leaves Patrizia, and they're estranged and separated but not divorced, he's on there with his mistresses. Mm-hmm. He's spending millions of dollars to redesign his yacht. I'm sorry, but if you show that yacht in the movie, then I no longer believe he's deep down the salt of the earth guy who just wanted to play around with the other guys washing trucks at the business, which is what the movie tries to make you believe in the beginning right. he's going to be. He wanted to be on that fucking yacht, and he wanted to be spending buckets and buckets and buckets of cash on what he liked. It's kind of all he saw Gucci as. Right. Was a spigot from that all the cash flowed from or something, but that's never really explained or demonstrated. He is, he is an enigma to me. He's, yeah. He's very ill-explained at any level. I don't ever feel like I understood him, and so I don't know that Adam Driver stood a chance because what could the... The script didn't suggest any sort of motivation or direction. Yeah. It just had these characters lurching along. And because they were so committed to Lady Gaga playing this kind of um, woman scorned, mm-hmm. you know, just a simple Italian girl who right, yeah. wanted to do whatever. I mean, they don't, it isn't that extreme. She's funny. Um, mm-hmm. they, she has great moments in the film. There, there's right. great, but the, it's about sticking that landing. She, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it needed, to, as you say, it needs to be because it's not as broad as just some big romance. It's this nuanced performance of this mm-hmm. narcissist hurtling through space, destroying everyone in her path. I mean, one of the things that was noteworthy about the Lady um, Gucci special mm-hmm. uh, that the, from episode that we covered in episode seventy eight was that none of her children participated. Mm -hmm. Like, her children were not a part of her defense. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, I think, telling. Mm -hmm. I would be interested to hear what they have to say about Lady And her children were her bargaining stick after Maurizio leaves her and before he divorces her. Because they are going to inherit the control in the company that she has lost by being estranged from her husband. Right. So, I, if once that jig was up, I wonder how much attention she even paid to those kids. I, you know, I mean, anyway. And she was in prison yeah. for twenty years of their life, so it doesn't really make any difference. Or thirty years, nearly. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it, she is a, she's a much more, who she was was a much more monstrous sort of character. And it's, it's kind of, it's a kind of remarkable opportunity mm-hmm. because that's not the part that she would appear to be playing. Like yeah. they were, when they first moved to New York, her father, uh, his father cuts him off. They are estranged from the Gucci family for a couple of years. And then Aldo, who is really the Gucci of the Gucci's, mm-hmm. the one who made it into the cup, the company that we even know it as today, even though the Gucci family hasn't been connected to it for quite some time, mm-hmm. um, since the time of this, the story the movie is telling, um, convinces them to uh, reconcile and moves them to New York. And they become... I think really sort of brilliantly on Aldo's part, they become the sort of lifestyle brand right. personified of mm-hmm. Gucci. They become Mr. and Mrs. Gucci going to Studio 54, which everybody always talks about like it was this great place to go as opposed mm-hmm. to this dump um, <laughs> where people went to slum mm-hmm. uh, and make fun of the people who were there. I, I've always loved that sort of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it continues along those, you know, they were out to all of the, they were hanging out with all of those people, the Biancas and the mm-hmm. Andes and the Judys and the... Um, I wish the party people could see the arm gestures you're making yeah. right now. Oh, they're, they're really very big. They're, big. They, were, they were all about New York at that point, and they, as a result, kind of became brand ambassadors right. for Gucci, and he saw that potential in her and in them as a couple, as almost like modeling what the company was selling. Mm-hmm. Um, Ralph Lauren, I think, maybe is the best at it of creating a vision of a life and right. selling you that. You believe you're buying a polo, you know, you are technically buying a polo shirt, but you believe you're buying a share in this sort of post Edwardian um, mm-hmm. manner, mannerly life right. that yeah. he depicts in all of his ads. It's about selling people lifestyle and not an actual product. Mm-hmm. And that was what I think Aldo was really brilliant at. And he used them as a way to do that. And she loved it, and mm-hmm. she was grand at it. And right. wow, what a terrific part of that movie that could have been if it had been in there. No, there wasn't. But yeah. it's not. Yeah. No, there's a lot that wasn't in there that I was expecting to see. When we watched the first documentary, I thought the relationship between Patrizia and this um, southern Italian, very not rich, very not exclusive amateur psychic named Pina who ends up becoming really instrumental in the murder plot that brings them all down. I'm like, that's the story right there. These two women meet in a vacation destination. They become close friends. To what extent is one manipulating the other to get money and access and whatever? It's them against the world. And I just, I I guess because I'm a gay man, that's the story I want to see. And I will (laughs) say this about that. Part of the reason that I think you feel that way is that the one possible exception to our review of this movie is Selma Hyatt. Uh, she's amazing. She's just fantastic. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen her not be just fantastic. Right, yeah. But she's playing this completely insane character, and right. she plays it with absolute conviction. She is just, God, I love that woman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she was, it was, she was probably the reason that that's the movie that you wanted to see is because she would have been in it. But I have to say, in all fairness, yes, it would have been great for that reason. But 
from the moment we saw that documentary, I had hoped that that yeah. was going to be the movie. And we don't ever really see the meeting the way they met. We don't see the depth of their friendship. They're just together every night. It's like she's just giving her psychic readings. Yeah. And it's like, no, these women were really close friends. This was the woman. And the, Maurizio called her the black witch. She Pina thought she was putting curses on him. That the real advantage to... Um, to Patricia of being friends with her was she was this friend from Naples who she could tell everything to right. because it wouldn't get back to anybody in Milan. Right, yeah. That it was this sort of this Chinese wall, as they say yeah. in the law firms, this yeah. complete um, separation from mm-hmm. one element of her life to another. She was kind of like her secret keeper. And I think that's really like what a perfect device for yeah. somebody who's kind of a narcissistic psychopath. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what is it like to be the best friend of a narcissistic psychopath with a power imbalance like that? Like, I think all of that is such a much richer story. But that's the gritty limited TV series about this case. That's not the big movie. I I was. This is what I. I'm not trying to. I love Lady Gaga too, but there is a story that William Goldman tells in one of his biographies about or memoirs about writing in Hollywood, right? And it's about the Great Santini. And I know I've brought it up before, and I actually haven't seen the Great Santini, but I know the scene is in it. I know you've seen the movie. Yes. This the Great Santini is this brutish what we would call an example of toxic masculinity, right? He's abusive to his son and wants him. He's a military war hero and all these sorts of... And they're having this basketball game and he's he's being too rough with his son. He's being too harsh. And his son says, I quit. I don't want to play this game. And he starts running up the stairs of the house to get away from his father. And his father, I believe, starts bouncing the basketball off his head. And it's a terrible scene that makes it clear how abusive this man is, how bad their relationship. And what William Goldman said is that Robert Duvall is one of maybe three actors in Hollywood, three big stars in Hollywood that would have done that scene because what big stars resist is going too villainous with a complicated character. That they ultimately are thinking of their brand, quote unquote, how good they look, and if they look too evil on screen and they're a big A-list celebrity, they they will they will resist the scene. They will want to rewrite the scene. They will say, I don't think she would do this. And what they're really saying is, I am afraid to be perceived this way. I'm afraid that if I pull this off and do a really good Oscar-worthy job of this, people are going to see me as this person. And I think there was a lot of that going on with, with Lady and Gaga. And that's the and difference Patricia. between acting and not knowing what acting is. Yes, absolutely. Totally. Yes. Like, that's the thing. That's my point. You really, like, you have to understand what acting is yeah. in order to actually do the job. Right. Like, I think that's the remarkable part. And it's the thing that you, I think it is really easy to miss mm-hmm. because it's so subtle and it's so underneath the line. Like, it is, it is, it's really easy to play very obvious givens. Mm hmm. My husband is cheating on me, and so I got pushed to this extreme level, and I right. had him killed. Yeah. That's really obvious and extreme and easy to play. Right. What's harder to play, and what a good actor will—you'll even miss that it's happening—is they will— They'll have a completely different storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, I married this man, and now he is in my way. Yeah. He has become an obstruction. I loved him, mm-hmm. and he was—he meant something to me while he was doing something for me. But now he is an obstruction that must be cleared out of my way. Yeah, exactly. So that I can continue on the path that I'm supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. How can I achieve that while at the same time appearing to be? 
the same woman who was Mrs. Gucci, the toast of New York, right. the mother of these children, the queen of multi bene society in what it, Milano bene in, in Milan, yeah. um, you know, and friend to uh, the rich and famous. I'm what? sorry, I got distracted by our show notes. That was Reeve Carney playing Tom Ford. For 45 seconds. Okay, maybe that's why. I was like, I guess he's filled out a bit. Reeve Carney is also on Penny Dreadful, which is one of our favorite shows. He played Oscar oh, Wilde. God, is that who played Dorian Gray? He played Dorian Gray. Not Oscar Wilde. Dorian Oscar Gray. Wilde was not in <laughs> Penny Dreadful. But Oscar he should Wilde have was, been. Oscar Wilde was a real person, and <laughs> yes. Dorian Gray was not. Anyway, I didn't mean to go completely off the rails there. I just got distracted by that. But I, yes, absolutely, I agree with you. And I think that... Um, but I think your point is also well taken. The choices around the script were not giving them a lot of amazing opportunities to Yeah, to it was work. a really obvious, really sort of easiest possible narrative to convey. And I get that, and sometimes it can work, but I don't think it worked for them in this yep. particular case. I think it made, it flattened out the story, and it deprived the, this really remarkable cast and stunning director mm -hmm. of the opportunity of something that might have really been um, a hell of a story to watch. I'm still taken with this story. I feel like after seeing that movie that I can't wait to see somebody make that movie. Because mm -hmm. they didn't. Yeah. This didn't happen. Yeah. Like, cast Salma Hayek again, by all means. In <laughs> fact, I would say cast any of these people again. Yeah. I, I don't think there's... I don't have anything against Lady Gaga, but she needs to be willing to have somebody tell her, no, that's not it. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. You need to bring something different to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. That seemed clear to me at the end of Starsborg when she just blew that final sequence. Mm -hmm. Like when Barbara Streisand did that final with one more look at me sequence at the end of her Star is Born, I left the, the theater sobbing. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't even tear up right. during Lady Gaga's final. I, I, I love her. Mm -hmm. And I think she has it in her, but I don't think anybody is able to tell her mm -hmm. that she's not nailing it, that she's not landing it. And she needs to be willing to do that to really get where she wants to be as an actor. Or, my suggestion, spend more time on your music career. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a 
supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And... While it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Well, I wonder if this is going to be a controversial episode. I don't know. I, I Listen, I saw only hate and contempt for this movie on the social medias. Oh, did you? I really did. When I when it came out, I thought, because uh, I was excited for it, I thought, wow, this is oh going to be God, a Oh, my God, I deal. couldn't wait. All the tweets were about the um, performances and the accents. That's really all I saw was like, wow, the buffet of terrible Italian accents. And it's just people were not connecting with it. It was God, really and the clear. Gucci family. Hated it. Really? Did oh it? my yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Not fan, not fans of it. And she was the person who was the who should have liked it the disliked it the least was Patrizia herself because this was the most sympathetic picture of her she's ever gonna get. And I have to say this. This is one of the I talk about this with reenactments a lot on specials. (laughs) This is one of the only examples I can think of where the Hollywood versions of the real people are less attractive than the actual versions. If you've seen photographs of Maurizio and Patrizia Reggiani, they're both really astoundingly good-looking people. And they didn't care. Adam Driver, you may like him. He may be a good actor. I don't think he's a stud. Maurizio was kind of a stud. Or at least he looked like one. He may not have acted like one. Really good-looking guy. And um, Patrizia was compared accurately, I think, to Elizabeth Taylor when she was younger. Yes. And and Lady Gaga's brand is that I'm not the beauty queen. That's really and, – and that's, I think, been part of her success is that I don't look like a swimsuit model. I yeah. Have, was, I have a reality to me. It was a big me. part of her appeal yeah. in Star is Born. It right. Was what, it, when it worked for her, that was what worked for her was yeah. she was not being – the obvious choice. And I and I think I love like the whole idea of the monster's ball and the thing that, that works about what she creates musically is that she doesn't look like Beyonce. Yeah. You know, and I and think And she's not trying to. Yeah. The, the she calls her fans the little monsters. All of that really She wraps herself in prosciutto. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. And I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I think her sense of fun and play is all great. But I think she was also, you know, miscast. I think that um, you know, what I was thinking of, and I don't mean to derail this or turn it into a discussion of something else. Have you seen Halston? On Netflix, the right. Yes, I have. Yeah, because like that was, well, that's about one man. And honestly, I would have made this movie about one woman and her best friend, Tina. But it it is able to track. You talked a lot in our previous episode about how Dateline uh, sectioned off the business intrigue at Gucci from the romantic and marriage intrigue. And really, they were one and the same. Yes. And I think. The way Halston depicted his choices around business, his terrible, fatally flawed choices around business. What a good—God, I love that series. Yeah, in conjunction with um, his personal life and what was going on with his addiction and all that sort of stuff. It's almost like you need for—and there was only five episodes— I don't know if it was cut short by the coronavirus pandemic or not, but it was. But it was all everything that I needed to experience his personal and professional journey was there, and um, I, I, you know, and I wonder if it's an argument for doing a limited series. About I this voted story. for Halston 
from the SAG Awards. I was oh, really, yeah. I was sorry that yeah. they didn't get the recognition. They got nominated, so I give them points for that. Because, yeah. God, that was great. That was a great series. Yeah. Nobody in this movie ever talked really about the art of clothes <laughs> or fashion design. There was never a sense. I remember years ago my mom reading a book about the the, mecha, the corporate history of Disney as an empire or history of moguls, and it was all about business stuff. And she said, at no point in reading this book do you real, think that any of these men actually loved movies. Like you can you can think whatever you want about sh predatory business sharks, but but in a creative business, someone along the way is going to have passion for what they're doing. Nowhere, like it, the closest they got Maybe was in the depiction son. of Paolo, right? But Paolo's love of it all was depicted as clownish, and yeah. and it, ma it made him vulnerable and weak, and he didn't understand how reality worked, and he was all about color and whatever. But you know, and it was it was actually used to demean him. Yes, like his yeah. his his love, pure love of fashion, was actually used to diminish his character. And then we get a glimpse of what Tom Ford brings to the company when he takes control of it. But it is we see it on the runway models, and his description of it is that it has nothing to do with really fabrics. He talks about he talks entirely about the Gucci name, and I'm going to embellish on the Gucci name, and it's all about that. But, like, there's never a scene in, Well, like, it's the beginning of that idea that we were talking about of, of creating the Gucci lifestyle right. as what we're going to sell as opposed to getting caught up in a particular yeah. stitch or a particular product. And if, if uh, just for people who are listening who don't know what I'm talking about when I say Halston's fatal uh, flaw, Halston sold his name. It's the great tragedy of Halston. And he was so high on cocaine, really, when he did it, he didn't realize the extent of what he was signing away. And when he wanted to branch out on his own, um, right as he was sort of cleaning up his act and getting sober, he couldn't. He couldn't be Halston. And it just sort of ruined his Because he belonged to J.C. Penney's or, or something. something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was really, it was, a, it was, it was a great sort of tragedy of his inability to integrate his art into the business world that he wanted mm -hmm. to succeed in, but he didn't really understand yeah, or didn't want to take the time to, I don't know. You could make a case for either. Yeah. But yeah, his, um, the, the portrayal was brilliant. They captured it so perfectly. And that, that sort of haphazard way, but never without the love that scene where he drapes the Liza Minnelli character mm -hmm. in fabric by way of making the dress. Right. Yeah. It's just like that. There it is. There's yeah. something I don't, I'm not a big fashion person, but like I got it. It was right. like, wow, that is remarkable that you could take a roll of fabric and turn right. it into something right before my eyes. And, and he has a moment with Liza, the, the actress playing Liza Minnelli early on where they first meet, where she's, I think complaining about how she's not a traditional starlet. And he says to her, you don't need to be. What you need to do is bring out what's there. And I can help you do that. And it's one of those, it's it's how you want fashion to work, right? <laughs> it's like you don't want to be about jamming people into a size zero dress, as you always talk right. about. It's the thing right. that's wrong with the fashion industry today is that we've we've lost the idea of people designing something that makes you look good. And instead, you have to change yourself in order to look good in what they're designing. And that seems to me to be antithetical to yeah. the very idea of fashion in the first place. Like, well, why bother then? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, like I just... 
I was disappointed in this movie. I know it's turned into like a movie review and we've moved away from the case, but. Well, it is still about the case because that's what they didn't do. Mm-hmm. Like this became a failed ro- a movie about a failed romance. Yeah. With some that was really stylishly and beautifully shot. I mean, God knows you can always count on Ridley Scott. Um, they also they condensed his two mistresses into one, which I thought was a weird choice. We talked last week about how there was yeah he started cheating That's true. on her. Yeah, That's true. Yeah, yeah. The, there was no yacht regatta in Switzerland because mm-hmm. where would you park the yacht? I know. It was snowing in Switzerland. <laughs> and, and it's a landlocked country. There yeah. is no place for the yacht. So, yeah, it's uh, – it was, but yeah, it was the, clearly that must have been the Paola or whatever her name was, yeah. who, um, who he hooked up with. That Lady Gaga was so pissed off about. God, that's still Lady Gaga. Lady Gucci was so pissed mm-hmm. off with Lady Gaga. Actually, probably had no feelings about it one way or <laughs> right. the other because it wasn't her husband or her life. But that scene was they were they did the scene in in this movie that they did in the the Dateline special that I love that moment of her evicting the mistress mm-hmm. twenty four hours um, after the husband was shot. I was like, God, that's gorgeous. But what they do in this movie, which was not how I pictured that moment at all, is that she walks in and they're both weeping with grief, and she puts her arms around the woman and embraces her, and you think they're going to have this moment, and she says. I need you out in 24 hours, you know. That's actually more the movie I wanted to see. Yeah. That's a lot. That moment is closer to what I needed to see in the rest of the movie to make it work. Because that's actually paying tribute to the character of Patrizia that we're talking about. That it doesn't really happen. The father-son in House of Gucci was fun, but but not enough. So... As we told you, I think, at the beginning, Patrizia went down for the crime. Her best friend, Pina, went down for hiring the murderers. The murderers went down for All being of murderers. All of them. The thing that the Lady Gucci documentary uh, went into is that Pina and uh, Patrizia ended up in the same prison I together that. for 28 years. And I don't think they spoke. No. I don't think they spoke for the whole 28 years. Again, how great of a coda would that have been on the movie? The two of them staring at each other across the fucking prison yard, refusing to say a word for 28 years. The other thing that the, the Lady Gucci um, series went into or the documentary went into was that while other people may have been in prison, um, <laughs> Patrizia was having hairdressers and manicurists and special chefs and decorators come in. She just moved her life into prison. She didn't go to prison. Right. Like it was, it was really sort of like, how do you get to be that kind of, it was like a crime boss. It was, didn't she also say in that documentary, I could have gotten out earlier if I had been willing to get a job, like on a, some sort of work release. And she's like, I don't work. I'm not going to stay. I've got my room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, I don't think she had a terrible time in prison. I think she had a pretty glamorous prison experience as opposed to Pina, who I think without the money and the wherewithal was... Subjected to that may be the nature of Italian prisons, but I didn't have that impression. I had the sense of this is how she got treated because she was who she was. There's also something the movie leaves out completely, other than the yacht, Maurizio's yacht. Yes, I'm not making that up, right? They did. There's no mention or I shot didn't, of the yacht. I don't remember it. I didn't see. Um, Patrizia had a brain tumor at one point after the divorce, after the separation, and it was benign. But the defense used. 
the argument that some of her crazy behavior and her threats, which were being conceived as or perceived as uh, premeditation, were in fact a result of her having, you know, trauma in the brain or pressure and maybe in the brain. So I mean, I don't, you know, you can make a case for that. There have been yeah. people whose behavior is really altered by a, a, a tumor or an injury to a part of their brain that maybe yeah. would have been suppressive to some of their behavior or impulses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't completely rule that out, but it doesn't seem to have been very well presented, and I don't see a lot of evidence for it. No. But the 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 big moment of that in the Lady Gucci documentary, we keep p- promoting that like we had this great time. That documentary was actually really challenging it was really for hard. us. It was, it was really, really hard to get through. <laughs> I'm glad we did it, but it was... Hard. It was, but she said that she expected him to come visit her in the hospital. And the Dateline special said he sent flowers with a blank card. But in the Lady Gucci documentary, I think she says she found out he never came inside the hospital, that he went to the hospital, but he never like went through the lobby and came up to her room or whatever. Um, but th- that's nowhere in the movie. There's no mention of her brain tumor. There's no whatever. And I will say this is the thing the scene in the movie that depicts his pulling away from her. In Switzerland. She goes to meet him. He's flown to Switzerland or escaped to Switzerland to avoid a tax charge. And he sees this hotsy totsy skiing woman, old friend of his. And then he sits her down with all these fancy European elite. And she kind of makes a fool of herself, sort of talking too big and making whatever. And this is seen as the moment of her estrangement. And I'm like, that is not suggested by everything else we have been told about this case. I mean, it is the least that- accurate picture of her that you've had. This is the woman who is the toast of New York society. Yeah. And she's unable to sit with this group of people and yeah. hold her own as a, as a sophisticate and yeah. an a habitué of that particular stratum of society. I just thought that was bullshit. Yeah. Totally. That was just a ridiculous, that was make her more relatable yeah, or totally. something. I just thought that was a bad note. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, we could start a podcast called It's Not the Movie We Would Have Made. It's really not. It's yeah. And it's a shame. It's one of those where at the end of the movie I say that thing that I always say is, like, God, I wish they'd called me. <laughs> right. Like, just let me have the script for a weekend. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you've got these, you've got this director, you've got this cast. It's yeah. all there, baby. Yeah. It's all there. Just let me have this script for a weekend. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I can make this movie work. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll, I'll also say this, and, you know, we haven't mentioned any right by names, but the the longer you go on in this this cruel town of Hollywood that we live in, the more you realize that a lot of what you are seeing up screen up on screen was not written by the credited writer. Oh yeah, there are really strange guild ar- writers guild arbitration rules about who gets screen credit, which they are trying to work on. Which now, they are but... trying to work on, but a lot of the dialogue you see a lot. Of, I've I've had experiences of complimenting writer friends of mine about certain things in their episodes of television that they've gotten credited on, and they give me either a blank stare or they'll admit the showrunner wrote it. I didn't write that line. <laughs> So I think that, you know, like who knows who was brought in to make this script, what Lady Gaga wanted it to be, what the studio wanted it to be, whatever. I think the script was that book. And the person, that woman wrote that book to be the salacious potboiler that she wanted it to be. And 
it may well have worked as a book, but mm-hmm. it did not. I haven't read it, so I, I won't condemn it. it. Yeah. But, um, but I don't think it worked on the screen. Mm-hmm. I just think that this is that's not the story that I'm seeing. Yeah, totally. This is a heinous crime and kind of a really dramatic crime, and in the midst of this tumultuous family. I have to say, and we've seen this now twice in a row, we saw it with the Dateline special last week, this need to make a victim. There's a clear victim. The murder victim is Maurizio and the doorman who was shot. He is a victim of murder. But when it comes to the events that led up to it, when it comes to their marriage, there was a clear desire to present him as a victim of her personality as opposed to this being a complicated marriage, right, with a lot of problems and two players, one who was sort of checked out and enormously privileged and the other one who was a narcissist. You know, it's just like, and I think the great works of art that really stimulate us and and provoke discussion and, and debate are about um, depicting that complexity and that nuance and challenging our perceptions. I think if there were victims in this story, it is their children. You think so? I yeah. think they were the children of two really horrible people. I mm-hmm. think both Maurizio and Patrizia were pretty horrible in their own way. Yeah. And they came together. His, because you said, he was a completely self-involved, checked out, selfish, privileged asshole. Yeah. Um, and she was this grasping, borderline, mm-hmm. you know, personality disorder waiting to happen. And I think those children were subjected to a life that was shaped by both of them. Yeah. Like mom had dad murdered Mm -hmm. because dad couldn't stick around and show up for us and for the family that he Mm -hmm. built and made. Well, that's all of that makes both of them look pretty terrible. Yeah, totally. To me, I mean, I don't know enough about it because as I've said too many times, Maurizio is such a blank card in all of these depictions. Mm-hmm. He's just guy who gets shot in back. Yeah, totally. That's really all he is. That is enough, I think, about the House of Gucci. We've done this case three times, more than any other case, but we are going to revisit a case we have talked about before, but it's part of a new feature we're oh, doing. Oh, wow. We have been talking about this for a while. Christopher has done some amazing research, and it is the thing the thing that we love about the movie pairing, the, the, the what do they call it? The true crime uh, pairing. The, 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 true, a, a, a true crime pairing, right? Like the a true wine crime pairing, pairing right. is that we do the documentary of the crime and then we do the movie interpretation of the crime and then we compare the two of them to see where the facts lay and Mm -hmm. how they interpreted Mm -hmm. them and how artistically they got altered. But we had this experience a while back. Oh my God. So we watched this episode of a show called The Perfect Murder, which is a true crime documentary series. And it was about... uh, you know, I'm starting the story in the wrong place. Uh, it ends with the perfect murder. We watched a special about a murder of a closeted gay man who was cheating on his wife and was meeting men for anonymous sex outside of an adult bookstore in Miami. And we had questions about the depiction of the family of the man and whether or not they had pulled away from him during, or pulled away from the investigation and stopped cooperating when they learned by way of his murder that this man had been secretly gay. So I knew there was another special about this case from another series called The Perfect Murder. Right. And so I thought maybe that will shed some light on it. And instead, what I discovered when I went and watched it was that this special had completely erased the man's sexuality and had a fraudulent 
reenactment of a of a defense statement or a prosecution statement delivered by an actor that sh- that accompanied footage of the man in a straight strip club with women dancing on him just completely lied Total about the facts of this case. The entire story it was just a complete fabrication. Um, so we are going to do something called a true crime redo or redux. It's the Latin spelling. <laughs> or is that French? I think it's French. I think it's French. Um, where we have previously talked about a murder case, the murder of Gavin Smith, who was a Fox executive who also um, was a former college basketball star. It was a murder that got a lot of attention here in L.A. He was a very attractive man. Um, we did an episode of The Perfect Murder based on this case. Right. So, But after we had this experience with that other episode we of The don't Perfect trust Murder, we it. were like— do you suppose that that isn't what happened? Because there were parts of the story that seemed like, huh, really? That's yeah. how that unfolded. Well, that seems weird. And it's kind of not how I remembered it because it happened in my time living in Los Angeles. It just seems strange. But we were like, why would they lie to us? But then we saw another episode of the same series and they completely lied to us. And so we thought, I wonder if another uh, show would do Uh, a different take on this same crime. And then... We found out there was a dateline about the Gavin Smith murder, and it's episode 47 of season 25, entitled Dark Valley. And I have seen this episode years ago. I barely remember it. We're going to watch it again. We're going to talk about it next week. We're going to compare it to what we saw on The Perfect Murder about the same case, and that is going to be our first installment of True Crime Redo. Well, let's see. I'm looking it up. What are you looking up? Brought back or revived. Oh, is, you're in the redo. Is what it means. Translation and more definition. I'm looking for the origin. Latin. So I think we're wrong. 19th century from Latin I, I, for reducer or said bring back. Latin. So how are we wrong? If I said Latin, you said French. I said I, said I thought Latin. it was French. I said Latin. I studied Latin. I didn't. Did you? No, no, I'm or just lying. Latin boys. I'm lying. I studied Latin boys. That's very That's, accurate. That is a very accurate that statement. That one yeah. I would believe, yeah. Yes. No, I think it is um, a post-positive Latin um, adjective for to, to redo. No? What does redo mean, redux mean in French? Revisité. So I guess you could make a case for either of it because... French is a Romance language, so they would all have come from the same source. So maybe it also has French origins. I don't know. I'll ask my sister. She speaks French. We'll let you know next week. What Sarah says next week on TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. (laughs) Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. Merci. This is TDPS.